This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening, literally, to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Ozpol Snackpod. Uh, we're a podcast that usually tries to take a kind of light approach to Australian news and politics, and we talk about memes and that kind of thing. Uh, but this week we're doing something a bit different because, uh, in the wake of the very direct cultural genocide that has happened here in Victoria, uh, over the last week, uh, it didn't feel appropriate to do our normal show. Um, so my name is Zach Snack, and with me is my co-host. Hi, I'm Noon. So this week, the Victorian government, uh, along with Victoria Police and Major Roads Projects Victoria, cut down a directions tree that was sacred to the Jaburong people. This is part of a construction project, a highway expansion of the Western Highway in Victoria, and uh, there's been a protest camp, the Jaburong Heritage Protection Embassy, that's been set up there for over two years now uh, with land protectors protecting trees that are sacred to the Jaburong people, specifically birthing trees uh, that several generations of Jaburong babies have been born under uh, and trees that are specifically very important to women and women's business in Jaburong culture. Now, a sort of agreement was reached to protect six of these trees with the Victorian government. This directions tree was not covered by that agreement. It's important to note that the legitimacy of that agreement has been disputed and there are many Jaburong people who don't feel that they were properly consulted in the course of drafting that agreement. And this week, after uh, months and years of work being delayed, the Victorian government chose the day that Daniel Andrews announced the reopening of businesses in Victoria to move in on those camps and cut down this directions tree, which is sacred to the Jaburong people. They also cleared out the um, Heritage Protection Embassy camps and arrested a bunch of people, um, gave them move-on orders and took them to the cop shop and stuff. Really hectic, horrible scenes of physical violence and, as you said, that cultural genocide. Yeah, there were, you know, the footage has... Uh, been circulated of police uh, physically brutalizing protesters, uh, refusing to give food and water to protesters who were uh, up in trees. Um, it's all around just been a, a really awful scene. But uh, thankfully, uh, this week, an injunction has been brought by a Dubberung woman, Marjorie Thorpe. So uh, works have been stopped on that site until the 19th of November when there's going to be uh, a further court hearing, which will determine uh, whether or not the works happening uh, on Jaburong country are legal. Uh, now, as I said at the top of the show, we normally do a kind of a comedy news podcast, um, and that really didn't feel appropriate this week, nor did it feel appropriate for us two white guys to spend a whole hour talking about how shit this stuff was when it's not our, it's not us who are on the receiving end of it. So instead, uh, we spoke to Lydia Thorpe this week. Uh, Lydia, if you don't know her, is a Gunai, Gundajamara and Jabrung woman. She's an activist and federal Greens senator for Victoria. 
uh, we spoke to her about her personal response to what's been happening on Jabbarun country. If you'd like to hear her speak a bit more about the details of the case and what has been happening over the last couple of years, uh, we'd like to direct you to the interview she did on the 7am podcast where she talks a bit more about the various stages of the protest. And we'll pop links uh, to that in the show notes. Yeah, we were um, very glad to have Lydia come on and um, talk to us about these issues that um, she's extremely knowledgeable and passionate and active about. It was a real honour to have her on the show and um, I hope you all get as much out of the interview as we both did. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, My pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we'll just jump right in. So uh, this week, the Victorian government and uh, Victoria Police and Major Road Projects Victoria uh, cut down a very significant sacred tree to the Jabarung people and uh, dismantled the Heritage Protection Embassy that's been set up there to protect country over the last two years. I know that you were uh, on the ground for parts of this, and uh, I wanted to ask you what your sort of personal emotional response was to seeing that directions tree cut down and removed and those camps dismantled by police? Oh, well, uh, you know, we were kind of feeling really good that morning when we knew that the Premier was going to be announcing uh, the restrictions being lifted in Victoria. Uh, So it started off quite a, you know, happy day. Uh, But then at the same time, he also allowed for uh, police to approach the the protest site, the Japarung Embassy, and basically, uh, you know, um, came in full force to remove protesters and uh, destroy the one of the most significant culturally uh, modified trees on country that we've been trying to protect. So. Mm. It started out being, you know, um, a good day and it was uh, then turned into a day of mourning because uh, we weren't expecting them to destroy or desecrate uh, such a a beautiful, significant uh, cultural heritage uh, that belonged to Japarung. We just weren't expecting in the same breath that he would lift restrictions and get people excited and destroy um, one of our significant sites. Now, whether, um, you know, I think that was quite calculated and, mm. and uh, part of the strategy. And maybe he was hoping that the um, public didn't, uh, you know, d- didn't know about this happening at the same time. So, yeah, it was devastating and uh, we're still reeling in that devastation and it's been a huge loss to the Japarung people. Yeah, and on that note, um, Jabarung woman Sissy Eileen Austin has uh, stepped down from the First People's Assembly, uh, which is part of the Victorian government's treaty negotiation process. And, yeah, we just wanted to ask, um, how has this impacted that treaty process and is there a way forward for treaty in Victoria after this? Uh, look, it's it's certainly tainted the treaty process once again, There's, uh, and it's not the first time. Yeah. Uh, this government, uh, you know, came around to Aboriginal people across Victoria uh, three years ago with a map of all the Crown land that would be available in a treaty process. 
Uh, the same government in the last three years has sold off as much Crown land as they possibly could. And now they desecrate cultural heritage and they continue to log the Central Highlands. So there's absolutely no good faith in this treaty process. In fact, it's not even a treaty process. Uh, and I question the Premier uh, in terms of, you know, what does that, what does treaty actually mean? Because you can't be talking about treaty on one hand and desecrate country on the other. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you like to see from the state government if they were trying to demonstrate that they were coming to treaty negotiations in good faith in Victoria? What could they do going forward to, uh, yeah, to demonstrate that good faith? Well, first of all, they could stop the destruction of country. Uh, they could stop the removal of children. They could stop the uh, Aboriginal deaths in custody. They could stop the incarceration of Aboriginal people in this country. Yeah. I mean... The list is so long and they've shown absolutely no good faith at all in any sort of treaty negotiations going forward. Mm. So it's it's not a treaty. Uh, it's an administrative process that um, the government are trying to call treaty. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there about um, Indigenous deaths in custody and obviously that's something that has been right at the forefront of your um, activism and your presence in Parliament and, you know, there was those um, amazing images of you stepping into Parliament for the first time in the cloak and with the message stick uh, with the 441 burns to, to represent each of the people who's died since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody in '91. And yeah, we, we wanted to ask a bit more about that message stick and, and how it came about and what it meant and um, who was involved in its creation. Uh, I, I wanted to take something in that symbolised uh, our struggle and the current situation in this country um, of the 441 deaths in, in custody. And I understand that there may be now 442. Yeah. Uh, so those uh, markings on that on that message stick of, you know, represented the um, families that have been affected by uh, deaths in custody. And it was a way to um, clearly send a message to everyone in that parliament uh, that this is, this is happening, this is in this country, and we need to end this injustice against this country's first people. Uh, and... Uh, I had that message stick smoked on uh, Ngunnawal and Ngambri uh, country that morning as part of the smoking ceremony and the welcome to country. So uh, it was made by a Gunai man on Gunai country uh, at my request because I needed something to symbolise, uh, you know, the 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 ongoing um, deaths in custody that our people are facing in this country. Hmm. Well, as Noon said, it was a deeply uh, powerful symbol, but obviously now that you're there in Parliament, um, what are you kind of hoping to achieve in terms of practical next steps when it comes to Indigenous deaths in custody? I mean, we have obviously these recommendations that were made by the Royal Commission in 91, and many of them uh, haven't been implemented yet. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you a kind of what are you and the Greens hoping to achieve on this issue now that you are in the Senate? Well, we need systemic change. We know that um, the system is racist in this country and that we need to, um, we need to change the laws and the policies that uh, 
um, allow for this systemic injustice to continue. So we need to change bail laws. We need to change. Um, we need to implement the rest of those recommendations. Uh, and you know that the recommendations that have not been implemented are the very recommendations that actually keep Aboriginal people out of the system. Mm. Yeah. So it means that. It means that this government needs to uh, roll their sleeves up and and do um, you know work a bit harder uh, with the people on the ground so that they can self determine their own solutions. Uh, we need one of those recommendations is around access to mental health services. So uh, it's it's pretty simple that uh, those recommendations be implemented to their entirety and that the government make that a priority. We are also interested in um, sovereignty, and you've mentioned that before about the Crown land and the Crown land being sold off and so on. But, yeah, um, on the same note, are there practical steps about um, returning sovereignty to unceded sovereign nations that the parliament, the colonial government, could be making? Well, we've never ceded sovereignty, so uh, and we've never had a treaty in this country. So I think that we could negotiate a way forward through uh, a treaty process. We could uh, negotiate shared sovereignty so that uh, Aboriginal people can self-determine their own destiny going forward, that Mm. we could have our own economic independence, we could have our own uh, law structures reinstated Mm. uh, and acknowledged. Uh, It doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we're going to take people's uh, homes away and, you know, all the scare sure, tactics sure. that um, that people use. This is about shared sovereignty so that we can protect and preserve our country for all future generations, not just Aboriginal people. What will be good for us will be good for every Australian in this country. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a sentiment that we definitely share in the sense that it's really the central thing that as a nation we have the responsibility to address and I think it will absolutely bring Australia together as a country and enable us to move forward without having to uh, deny that part of our history as we know happens so often. And people, you know, the the ordinary everyday Australian does not understand the the sovereign status of of this country's first people. So there needs to be truth-telling for yep. people to understand that because we need everybody uh, to understand what country they're actually living in mm. and on and that they need to um, understand the true history of what's happened on that country. I mean, people are absolutely blinded by this false narrative of this country's history and it's, it's based on a white colonial system. So where's our um, where's our narrative in this space? Where do mm. we belong in our own country? Mm. We've got a really long way to go, and as you say, you know, everyone needs to kind of roll their sleeves up in order to get the um, to start that truth telling process. And now, uh, you know, it's been just under four weeks since you were sworn in as a senator in the federal parliament, and we just wanted to ask you a bit about what the job's been like so far um, and how that experience of the past month has been stepping into that new job? Uh, it's been a great experience, to be honest. I mean, I, I only I work my best under pressure. I work my best under full assault. Sure. Um, so, 
So uh, that's what it's been like, you know, going into a, a new space uh, with new colleagues, uh, being able to say hi to Pauline Hanson yeah, um, and, and have her kind of feel, you know, awkward about that interaction. <laughs> Uh, so no, look, it's I've enjoyed uh, the first few or few months in my new role, and I've you know been able to have a lot of conversations with both uh, of the major parties mm-hmm. and uh, politicians that uh, belong to those. So you know there is a res- there's this kind of unspoken respect in that space. Mm. Um, so what you see on the floor and everyone yelling at one another. Uh, that's not happening in the halls. You know, there are respectful conversations going on and I just want to continue to bring out the truth and and call Mm. out the injustice uh, and educate these people. I think that these people have, you know, they're um, career politicians who are out of touch with the people on the ground Mm. and that they um, they need someone in there to give them a reality check about what's actually going on in this country on the ground and you know it's not just about Aboriginal people it's about um our our poor people our homeless people our our people uh that are being that are locked up um who've come here seeking asylum so it's it's all of these issues that I think these people um usually with lawyer backgrounds you Mm. know they've been in um university and they've been in these privileged bubbles all of their lives, um, I want to take. The, I want to strip that down and bring them back to the reality of what's going on in this country. That's such an exciting answer, and um, I think all of Australia is really lucky to have you uh, representing, yeah, non um, lawyers in Parliament. That's fabulous. And um, actually, it was really reassuring, almost, what you just said about you know the. Pauline Hanson and other people from the major parties sort of treating you with respect and not being the uh, aggressive, useless people that they sometimes appear in question time and so on. But I did actually want to ask you about an incident um, the other week where Anne Rustin took offence to something that you asked in (laughs) Senate Estimates. And uh, I think you posted on on your Facebook about um, white fragility. And I just wanted to ask you about, yeah, um, is that a recurring theme? Is that something you're dealing with a lot in Parliament? And, um, yeah, what's that like? Absolutely. And I think, you know, all um, parliamentarians, I think, you know, we do kind of OH&S induction. We do all of these inductions as uh, new members of Parliament coming in. I think that part of that they need to have some white fragility checkpoint <laughs> yeah. um, that they can all understand and uh, acknowledge and get rid of in that place because all of their decisions are based on um, their privilege mm. and uh, when they're, you know, questioned on that or challenged, they fall to pieces like you saw that, that mm. Minister Rustin um, feeling quite offended that I said, you know, white money and black money. Well, hello, you know, the government continues to say, and you hear all the uh, right-wing media saying there's so much money going into Aboriginal mm. affairs and, you know, we can't, they can't even fix the problem themselves. Well, how much money does go to Aboriginal affairs? How much money, how, how much black money goes into white organisations yeah. and white corporations? And that's the question 
that needs to be asked and the proof provided in terms of how much gets to the people. Because where I come from, we get the crumbs off the table. Mm. And uh, I'm sorry that uh, Minister Rustin was offended by, by what I said, but actually I'm not really sorry because that's what that's that's her issue, not yeah. mine. And that's that's exactly what this country uh, has to deal with to be able to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. We saw you know, in the in the recent federal budget that the kind of top line uh, item for funding for First Nations people that Frydenberg pointed out in his speech, most of it was going to an organization called Clontarf, which was which is you know has an entirely white uh, executive board. So it's definitely a very absolutely. real issue. A, a completely reasonable question for you to ask, and such a silly thing for her to be. To take by, umbrage at, anyway. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, Clontarf is also um, part of the AFL and looking after the boys. Mm. So, yep. you know, we, whilst it might be doing some good work, we don't want to take away from that. This is about self-determination and this is about Aboriginal people making decisions for Aboriginal people because as long as white people are making decisions for us, they're always going to get it wrong. No doubt. Um, now we're almost out of time, but uh, before you go, uh, I just wanted to ask. You mentioned that you know a lot of people in Parliament come from a legal background or otherwise quite privileged positions. You yourself, you've come to politics via a different route through being involved in activism uh, and direct action. And I wanted to ask that you know, considering you've been kind of involved in both sides there on the protest side, but also uh, being inside the tent, uh, inside the political system as well. What do you see as kind of the benefits and drawbacks of trying to work within the system of electoral politics? Uh, I think that uh, you're still an activist in that place. It's just a different, um, it just takes different form, I suppose. And uh, I'll be taking everything that I um, that I represent and, and all of those experiences. And I'll be protesting in Parliament just like I did by putting my fist up when I walked in, just like I did by taking that message stick in. And we, you know, protesting is about exposing the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what I will continue to do. I will call it out. I will question it. And I will look at ways uh, in terms of inquiries and um you know, legislative processes around uh, how we can make it more transparent and accountable to the people that this this uh, government is meant to serve. So, uh, and having, you know, having the uh, activists and allies uh, support in this space, that's who I listen to. Mm. So I'm not taking direction from anyone else but my people, my old people, and the people who were struggling on the ground in protecting country and fighting for their, you know, their very survival of just putting food on the table. So that's who I take my advice from, and I will continue um, to raise their voices in this place where it's been denied for too long. Senator Thorpe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for your work in Parliament and elsewhere and for your important voice and um Congratulations once again on coming into Parliament. And, um, yeah, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we get out of here this week, we wanted to point people in a few directions that they could go to potentially 
uh, show solidarity and support for Jaburong people. So we're going to put a link to a GoFundMe for the Jaburong Heritage Protection Embassy camp. Now, obviously, those camps that have been established over the last two years have been dismantled, but... Uh, the people who are working on the issue are still, resist- still working on it. Resistance mm. is ongoing and mm. they are ma- the people are maintaining, uh, and Jabarong people are maintaining a presence uh, in the area, even though the site of the works themselves have been dis- restricted. So we'll put a link to that GoFundMe. Uh, we're also going to put links up to Pay the Rent, which is a campaign slash organization that uh, Lydia Thorpe is involved with. It's a way for individuals who are living on stolen land to act in solidarity with the traditional owners of the land that they're living on. Um, so yeah, we'll put links to that. And if you have money, you can set up recurring payments or once-off payments. And, um, yeah, we'd really encourage anyone who has the money to support those courses. Yeah. Oswald Snackbot has a recurring, uh, donation that we set up to pay the rent. So yeah, we like to encourage other people to do the same. And, uh, the last thing that we'll put on there is a link to the Solidarity Defense Fund, which is a crowdfunded legal defense fund for activists and uh, they are presently uh, offering support to people who receive fines from Vic Police while defending Jaburong country from uh, major roads projects, Victoria and Vic Pol themselves. So we'll put a link to that uh, in the description as well if you have available funds to throw that their way. Otherwise, I think that's everything this week. And um, if you, this is the first time listening to the show um, and you came here for Lydia, thank you for coming along. And as Zach said, this is not sort of our usual show format. We normally talk about more stories and a bit more lightheartedly. But yeah, we really wanted to focus on this this week because it was the most important thing that's happened this week. So thank you all for tuning in and we'll catch you next week.